Funding for Elwood City Limits is brought to you by Leanne S., John Dulong, Josias Melendez, and Ian Collis. Listeners like you. If you'd like to support this podcast, go to patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. Hmm. Terry Rozier, a more clutch player in the finals than Kyrie Irving? I mean, that's kind of a hot take. Kristaps, they should, the Knicks should trade Kristaps Porzingis? I, I, I don't know. Oh, hello. I didn't see you there. I'm Lucas Mancini of the Elwood City Limits Podcast. Welcome to my humble abode. Uh, while you're here, I'd just like to remind you that Elwood City Limits is recorded in beautiful Halifax, Nova Scotia by the ocean. And Halifax, Nova Scotia has their Best of Halifax Awards that you can vote in from June 1st to July 15th. And what do you know? As this podcast is recorded in Halifax, it's eligible for the best podcast from Halifax. All you have to do is go to bestofhalifax.com, scroll down to the media section, and type in Elwood City Limits as your nomination for best podcast. You can even write a little blurb about why you think it's the best. It would be really great if you're a fan of Elwood City Limits to head on down to bestofhalifax.com and nominate us. Thanks! Funding for Elwood City Limits is brought to you by Facebook. Facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits. Twitter. At ECL Podcast. Tumblr. ElwoodCityLimits.tumblr.com. Email. ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. And by contributions from listeners like you. Literally at ElwoodCityLimits.Libson.com. Thank you. Cha-ching, cha-ching, baby. Hot town, summer in the city, back of my neck, looking, I don't know, I don't remember the rest of the song, it is hot, it is, it is warm here in Halifax, Nova Scotia, that will. That, uh, that song just always makes me think of the beginning of Die Hard 3. It also makes me think of the beginning of Die Hard 3, underrated <laughs> film, uh, probably, oh, I love Die Hard 3. probably the second best Die Hard movie. I agree with you, I absolutely agree. Uh, I, and I re, and I watched it recently. I actually, uh, I, I really like that movie. I like Die Hard 2 a lot better than when I saw it the first time. Really? I need to give Die Hard 2 another chance. It's not bad. It's like, it's not, it's not Die Hard and it's not Die Hard 3, but, you know, compared with what came after it, uh, in, in the, the latter two Die Hard sequels and compared to some other stuff, I mean, it's pretty good. It's, it's a good, it's, it's, it's a fun movie. Uh, Yippie Kaye, Mr. Falcon. Is that that movie? <laughs> uh, didn't they do that for the first one? Wasn't that the edit for the first one? I think it's Mr. Falcon in the second one when he's lighting the the line of that, gas, that's, blow up the plane. That's definitely that's definitely the airplane yeah. edit of uh, you know. Uh, yes. Oh my god, gosh! As soon as you said it, I am sweating like crazy. So thank goodness I have a my uh, pajama T-shirt. Uh, has the sleeves cut out of it because <laughs> I need some jump, jump, give me room to breathe. Yeah, sun's uh, out, on El- guns out. Here on Elwood City Limits, the episodic Arthur podcast. It, you know what? It's actually hotter than last week when we were talking about the blizzard. That would have been a good time to do that. No, yeah, it is 30 degrees today, or at least that's the high it's going to reach. So we're in the middle of a heat wave. And that's not even counting the uh, the Humidex either. Mm, oh my goodness, don't even get me started on that. 
dreaded Humidex. And to add insult to injury, I'm actually going to make it hotter in this room by closing the door for acoustic purposes. So, excuse me for a moment. Gonna close uh, the do- nab door. I had to do the same thing with my window, so there is uh, not nary a bit of fresh air coming in. So it's going to get real sweaty by the time we wrap up here. All right, let's get sweltering in here. Yeah. We're here to talk about another pair of Arthur stories. Arthur, PBS Kids, one of the one of the greatest TV shows ever made. Uh, before we get to that, though, of course, we like to start off the show, or first of all, by introducing ourselves. My name is Will Young, and the other voice you're hearing is Lucas Mancini. LeBron went to the Lakers. It's crazy. That's right. Uh, a friend of mine alerted me to that, and also uh, in hockey news, Tavares going to the to the Maple Leafs. Uh, neither, uh, I, I mean, I get the significance of LeBron to the Lakers. Tavares to the Leafs was uh, something uh, my friend had to kind of tell me about. I'm not... Uh, I only watch uh, real sports like wrestling. <laughs> well, well, not only that, but Demarcus Boogie Cousins is going to the Warriors, so they're going to be even more oh. stacked this year than they were last. Boogie Cousins, I at least know the name. So, like, there's a couple of guys you can say, and I was like, okay, I know the name. Boogie Cousins you know. is a hard name to forget. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's that's exactly how that works. Uh, at least with me. All right, uh, now at this point in the show, after we've introduced ourselves and talked about the weather, uh, was when we go to ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com for our uh, mailbag, which has been very well populated lately. I want to thank everybody for sending their uh, mail in. All right, so this one, first one, titled Essays by Hand, Beans Suck and Classical Illusions. This is from our friend Urs Cat. Hi, Will and Lucas. I noticed you were a little confused last week, about typed-out essays. I was in sixth grade in 2006. Excuse me while I just uh, age 90 years. The earliest I can now, remember rules uh, for typed-out essays. I was the exact same age. Uh, I, I was in no. sixth grade in 2006 because it's easy for me to remember because I was always in the same grade as year it was. Like in 2001, I was in grade one. Mm-hmm. In 2002, I was in grade two. So we're the exact same age. There you go. Uh, Lucas and Urs Cat. Uh, a lot more similar than you think, uh, where there were specific rules to discourage cheating. In our essays, we had to use Times New Roman 12-point font and usually double-spaced lines for better legibility than single-space. We'd have points taken off for not following these rules, and with a more uniform typing font than someone's handwriting, it was really easy to put all the papers together and figure out who had their font, even a single point larger than 12, let alone the much bigger differences in spacing. I can't remember, uh, so these rules were probably implemented after seeing people uh, your age, uh, referring to me, cheat like this. And having dysgraphia, a disability that makes it a lot harder to write by hand, I probably was a little more aware of computer rules than most students. Uh, interesting. We were t- again. We were talking about this last week about how I was an, a late adopter of computer essays. And uh, Lucas talking a bit about uh, anti-cheating methods, so a little bit of uh, illumination there from Ur's cat. Their their next point is beans suck. They have a bad texture. Never liked them. Never will. One food that has a weird texture that I do like is mushrooms. So that's in reference to last week on the episode. Mr. Haney was and Mr. Ratburn were very much against the idea. Uh, of beans. I was a later uh, adopter of beans. Like early in my life, I think I would have agreed. Like when I was a little kid, I never liked beans. Beans and weenies wasn't a fan. Uh, but once mm. I moved out, I quickly learned of the the benefits of beans. 
uh, once I had to start making food for myself. Yeah, uh, I've so I I adopted and then kind of let beans let beans go again when I moved out. It was like oh canned beans like that's a great like simple thing to do. Like I had some uh, hot dogs and beans, but uh, I'll, but then I also found out how the sodium content in your normal can of beans. So then I was like yeah I think I can live without it. Also did kidney beans for a little while to, to be more heart healthy. But, uh, yeah, can't really – I couldn't stomach them after a while. Uh, with this next episode coming up, it makes me remember how much I love the Odyssey episodes in kids' TV shows. I can only remember Wishbone as another example, but to me it felt much more common. Can you remember any others? Thank you, Urs Cat. Um, Odyssey episodes in TV. The So I can't remember any kids' TV shows. The one that always comes to mind is Brother O, uh, Where Art Thou? Yeah, that is one of the biggest examples. And by the way, great movie. Mm-hmm. Love that movie. Love that. Love that soundtrack. An underrated what? Coen Brothers film. One of the uh, mm-hmm. one of their better comedies for sure. Yeah, um, it's a tre- it's a tremendous film, kids. If you haven't seen it, check it out. But yeah, I know there's a bunch of kids TV shows that parody the Odyssey. Uh, I had forgotten about the Arthur episode we're about to talk about. Um, hmm. <laughs> The only one I can really think of is uh, there was that Canadian kids TV show that was like science fiction. It was called uh, The Odyssey, or I think it, or or just Odyssey. I can't remember. And it was about like a kid who uh, uh, goes into a coma, and there's like a fantasy world in his uh, in his brain. Whoa, I I don't where, remember where, this. This sounds very high concept. It's 1994. Yeah, uh, Ryan Reynolds was on it as a little kid. Yeah, the the concept of it was like in this world that was in the kid's head, uh, nobody lived past the age of like seventeen, I want to say. So it was a world filled only with kids. Nineteen ninety two to nineteen ninety four. So this would have been just before my time. I've never heard but, or but, seen this. But it also would have played on YTV when you were very very young. Mm. Like it would have re aired. Fascinating, CBC Television, huh? Ooh, reboot. That's the, that's. The, that's those are the only ones that we can think of. If uh, if, I, if anything else comes to mind, but the Odyssey is one that's pretty easy, not just to adapt like DW does in this episode, but also just kind of riff on. Like like we said, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou is not uh, a direct adaptation, but it does like take the beats of the story yeah. and kind of put them in a different setting. I can't remember specific episodes, but I have to imagine that like SpongeBob and like Fairly Odd Parents and like all those shows at some point had an episode that was the Odyssey. Thank you for the email, Urs Cat. Uh we got a quick one here from uh Norbert uh who's talking about Arthur's Are There No Hotels line from the last episode that you and I loved. Norbert says, reminds me of Scrooge's lines of, are there no prisons, are there no workhouses in A Christmas Carol when he was asked to donate to charity? I like to think Arthur is trying to get some cosmic Dickensian revenge on Ratburn for the Oliver Twist sequence. I uh, That's so it's funny that he brings theory. that up because I've always, always uh, talked about how funny I find the part where they're like, would you like to donate to charity, Mr. Uh, Mr. Scrooge? And he's like, are there no workhouses? Have they closed? Um, I've always found that similarly as funny as are there no hotels? So it makes sense that uh, he would relate one to the other. Classic, uh, classic bourgeoisie uh, response there. Uh, and then finally, we have one called Quick Comment from Ian. 
uh, talking about the episodes we are going to be discussing. These ne- these next two episodes aren't much, but I think their main value is in the lessons that they teach, the importance of oral history and how young kids can be a part of things, as well as how to be respectful to others. Also, Binky, the ghost of lunch tomorrow, makes the Prunella episode. He's great. Well, whether or not we degree, agree, excuse me, is going to be you got up the weather to the on next, the brain uh, degree. Yeah. Uh is going to be up to our discussion, which is happening right now. Today, we're talking about a pair of Arthur episodes. Going to start it off with DW Tailspins, which, as you may have gathered from what we've been talking about, uh, does involve somewhat of an adaptation of The Odyssey, the classic epic poem, which is actually one of my favorite favorite books to read. Not to be mistaken uh, with an adaptation of Disney's Tailspin, which, uh, thanks to YouTube's <laughs> new algorithm, as I was watching this episode, they were like, do you want to watch four seasons of Tailspin? Only fourteen ninety nine on YouTube TV. I was going to say, maybe maybe if you're lucky, you'll get one of those you, those live YouTube channels that just plays all the episodes of Tailspin back-to-back. Um, I will say uh, one more thing about Disney's Tailspin is that uh, because that's the name of this episode, uh, I've had the Tailspin theme song stuck in my head all morning. It's very good. It's not like well, quite Ducktales tier, but it but it gets there. Well, let's uh let's take a quick listen to that just to jog people's memories. I actually never watched Tailspin. I, like I've never seen an episode of Tailspin uh, that just c- completely escaped me. Same. I was, uh, I was more of a Ducktales guy, but again, that theme song goes in. Oh, we oh, indeed. Uh, I was I I was and am more of a Darkwing Duck man. So uh, that's I. When there's trouble, you call DW. That's right. Oh, DW. Oh. That's where we're so. Oh, what a, oh what a my second. goodness. <laughs> and that's that's how this one starts. Uh, I knew. I knew immediately of just like within the first 10 seconds of like, wow, we're going to be talking about this one for a while. <laughs> uh, the whole cold open of the, of this episode is DW roasting Arthur. <laughs> and I mean, like it starts off of, of like a slow zoom into Arthur's door. And then DW answers it. She's got Arthur's glasses on. And we, we've said before how like in DW's imagination, Arthur is like this big dumb idiot with like, he's either like, eating all the time or he's got big feet and a stupid expression so that's how she portrays him when she acts like him like her first line of the episode is hi i'm arthur duh yeah she has this like deep voice put on that's so great where she's like i'm arthur and she like sticks her tongue out of her mouth and like has this like very dull expression on her face she she also has this like giant uh like doll that's kind of like a red ant and she's like, this is my doggy woggy pal. And there, uh, this was already kind of putting a smile on my face. The, the part that made me laugh was like, she tries to stand up the ant, but it like kind of can't on its own. So she's like, pal, sit. And as it starts to fall, she just goes, lie down. Good doggy pal. <laughs> so Arthur comes, comes into the bedroom and finds her. And he says like, mom, I found my glasses. DW took them. And then DW... This is funny how this happened immediately, like a couple of episodes after they made this point, uh, kind of hanging their their uh, 
hanging the lampshade a little bit here on Arthur always calling for mom. Uh, DW just goes, Mom, I'm Arthur, and some tiny little thing happened, so right away I'm calling for help. It's really got a vibe of, like, Frank Grimes making fun of Homer Simpson, like, oh, I'm going to pee on the toilet seat, I'm Homer Simpson. <laughs> do, do, do. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great point. It It's uh, yeah, extremely high voltage. Well, I don't need safety gloves, because I'm Arthur. Yeah. And then, uh, so Arthur kind of backs her into her corner. She falls over. He takes her glasses. And the theme that will carry over into the episode is DW saying, I wanted to prove that I can do anything you can do. And then Arthur's like, oh, yeah? Do my math homework. And as Arthur held up his math homework, I was like, even I can't do that at this point. No. It's like 1989 divided by 12 or something. I'm just like, okay, well. And you just know that Ratburn's like, don't use a calculator. Because calc- you'll never, because you won't have a chance to use calculators in real life. Spoilers: our phones have calculators. You can use them literally all the time, <laughs> and in fact, do so. Uh, <laughs> and DW kind of ends the cold open, defeated. She has a line here. Where she's just like, "I sat on my dog." <laughs> uh... In many ways, uh, I me- I mentioned that you know, it was the episode. Which one was it? Oh, it was the contest where. Muffy had the line about how why does she always call for his mother? This also feels in a way like a continuation of an episode we talked about in that same block of episodes. Uh, prove it. Because once again, the episode starts off with DW playing with Kate. And she's like, nobody takes me seriously. Or like this, like nobody like pays attention to me. In fact, she says like, it's, it's like I'm so lonely or something. She goes, I feel so alone sometimes. It's kind of sad. Like, it's definitely painting a more sympathetic portrayal of DW than Prove It did. Well, she's playing Frisbee with Kate, and Kate won't toss the Frisbee back. She just wants to chew on it. And then uh, uh, Pal licks DW's nose, and she goes, Oh, a dog ate licked my nose! Um, And then, adding insult to injury, Arthur walks by with Buster, and it shows that Arthur's currently enjoying companionship of a peer, whereas DW has no peers around her, just a baby and a dog. We get another great look at, uh, well, kind of what children's pop culture was this uh, around like 1999 when this would have aired. Uh, Lucas, the, they may have been a little, just a tiny bit before your time. Yeah. Did you ever read the Animorphs books? So, no, I never read, I never read Animorphs. Uh, I remember being really, really scared of the TV show as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would look at the covers all the time. Um, those covers, man, they just suck you in. There's a really great Tumblr account that uh, just posts the middle transformation of the Animorphs cover. So not the kid at the end or the animal at the end, but the middle, like, half kid, half animal. Uh, yeah. And that's just a mwah, that's just an excellent Tumblr account. Uh, but, yeah, my, my relationship with the Animorphs series is essentially just looking at the covers all the time, being like, this is just crazy. It's interesting because at this time I would have, you know, I would have been a really big reader, but the Animorphs books never really, like, I never read a whole one. Like, I had a couple of them, but the biggest appeal to me was actually the covers and on the in on the inset of the book, like, you could flip through the entire book and watch the transformation from kid to animal uh, or, or animal to kid, so that was kind of fun. But I, I watched the Animorphs TV show. I, re- I really liked that when I was a kid. 
but I never read a whole book. Uh, Jenna, my fiance, actually like was a huge reader of Animorphs, but it just never. It was kind of like I it, I did the same thing with the Goosebumps books, where I never read them, but I was a big fan of the TV show and I liked the stories. I just never got into reading them. I just preferred to watch them. I guess. See, yeah, I ended up reading a lot more Goosebumps than I ever did Animorphs. Uh, I think it's because Goosebumps is like each book's like a one-off, right? Whereas Animorphs is like a big arcing story. You have to read one to understand the next. Yeah. I have no idea if, you know, they hold up uh, the these books. I, I should ask I should ask Jenna if she's uh, read them anytime recently. I'll tell you what. Um, I was done with Animorphs when they stopped turning into animals and started turning into weird aliens. I was like, no, 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 no. It's not called Alien Morphs, okay? They gotta be animals, okay? So if you're turning into a nonsense made-up creature, someone's running out of ideas. There's lots of animals on Earth that they could have turned into before uh, something with, like, a blue monkey on top and a horse on the bottom. You're right. You're absolutely right. Now, um, the Animorphs Wikipedia page is is fun to read, (laughs) uh, for me especially because... Uh, like I was actually around. So this this joke may not hold up, but I promise you, this is great. So there, so Arthur and Buster are talking about the Vegemorphs series, which is the Arthur parody. So instead of turning into animals, they turn into vegetables. Th- this is this like this exchange between Arthur and Buster is fantastic because we need to understand for this joke is just the naming convention of the Animorphs books. So I'm just looking at the the list of them right now on Wikipedia. It was always the something. So like oh, the first book was I didn't pick up on this. The there was like the invasion, the encounter, the message, the reaction, the departure. Da, 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 da. Like a noun or a concept or something. So they're talking about one of them says like I really liked the general and the other one's like oh no, I like the specific way better. Oh, and then Arthur says, but what about the random? I didn't know what was going to happen next. Mwah. Oh, that's good stuff. Like, Jenna and I were watching this together, and we were both, like, cracking up. That's hilarious. And then they talk later about how um, there there are three books called The Trilogy. So there's The Trilogy Part 1, Part 1, Part 2, and Part 1, Part 3. <laughs> Oh my goodness! I thought that I, th- I thought that was terrific. A great understanding of their source material. I mean, if you're doing like kids programming at the time, I bet Animorphs was inescapable. This this Wikipedia page truly is a uh, a rich vein. I'm like, I should not be looking at this while we're we're uh, doing the podcast. Uh, oh my goodness gracious! I like I as soon as soon as we get finished recording this podcast, I'm gonna have some lunch and uh, read the Animorphs Wikipedia page. Let me just Animorphs book covers. Let's just do a quick Google image search, folks at home. I uh, implore you to do this. Oh my God! Oh jeez! <laughs> oh man! See, the thing is, it is. This is one of those things where it's impossible to figure out which one of these are parodies, like, meant to be bad, <laughs> and which one of these... Like, this guy's turning into a beaver... Oh, Will. This guy... Oh, my goodness gracious. All right. So, you you got to look it up for yourself. We can't exactly describe it over over voice, unfortunately. Oh, so, this B one. Oh, oh. Okay, I got to close this. I got to close this tab. Okay. All right. All right. Let's keep going. 
Uh, so they're in Arthur's room talking about the Vegemorph series, and uh, D- DW tries to read one, but there's no pictures, and of course she still can't read. And then Arthur is really excited uh, that he even says to Buster, like, I finally found something that DW can't do, so I don't have to share it with her, which I'm sure is a, a big thing for older siblings. I was the younger sibling, so I can't really attest to that. Uh, just having something that's yours. And uh, DW says, I don't care. I can think of a better story. I can write a better story than that. And we get a little bit of an, oh, yeah, yeah, kind of an argument. And eventually Buster just puts his books in his backpacks and leaves. He's just like, well, this is going nowhere. Yeah, he says, well, I'm out of here. This isn't going to end anytime soon, which is a really yeah. great moment because they don't even notice Buster leaving. Yeah, they just keep, they just keep arguing back and forth. So Arthur challenges DW if you can write a better story than do it and like sits her down at the kitchen table with a pen and pencil or with a pad and a pencil and it's just like all right there you go and she's like all right I will and then of course <laughs> realizes too late that she can't write amazing and, line from Arthur here where he oh, goes yeah do, if, do it if you can't write you're wrong right Arthur um Kind of similar to how you and I kind of felt like DW's annoying qualities were kind of enhanced for an episode like Prove It. Arthur's really a lot more of a jerk than we're used to seeing him, but it does, in the end, serve a purpose. Like, DW has to have somebody to be her kind of foil for this one. So, DW, uh, Arthur's less uh, um, caring qualities are kind of amped up a little bit so they he give like him really a little, lords it over they her. give him a little bit of, it, of motivation earlier on in the episode when he's talking to Buster and he goes I finally found something uh, that I could do that DW doesn't have to be included in like this is his one escape from his sister always wanting to be bugging him and wanting to be a part of his activities is she can, can't can possibly read the, the Vegemorphs books so it's like this is kind of his sanctuary from her and that's why he's so invested in her not being able to understand the words or write a better story rather so dw is uh now at grandma thor's house and telling her that she's you know know, upset that arthur proved her wrong and uh that kind of stuff so grandma thor is helping her feel better did you notice in the initial shot of grandma thor's place that there's a picture on the wall of her and her husband no i did not grandpa thora grandpa thora no, so, I missed that completely. I was thinking yep, about th- Grandma Thor. She references another picture in this uh, scene of her three brothers. And I was trying to think, like, have we met any of uh, Arthur's great uncles? Like, have we have actually met the adult version of Grandma Thor's brothers? No, I don't think so. None at this point. But you never know. We've got, like, 95 more seasons, so who, we could have time to flesh them out. Who was uh, Arthur's mustachioed uncle from the Family Reunion episode in Season 1 related to? Was it Arthur's dad's brother or Arthur's mom's brother? Um, I want to I think it was Arthur's dad's brother. Okay. Uh, yeah, so Grandma Thor, you know, baked her cookies and is helping her feel better. And, you know, she, she gets about growing up with brothers since she had three of them. Uh, but And then tells her a little bit about how people used to tell stories. You don't have to write a story. You just have to be able to tell one. We get a little bit of a flashback to cave times in the Arthur universe. And it seems that everybody back then was like a warthog or a pig. I was going to ask, what are these creatures? Are they supposed to be like, 
I should have done the research. I wasn't sure if they were some sort of like purposefully prehistoric animal like Manny the Sloth or something that would have been around in caveman times because everybody has a very specific, uh, almost anteater-like, uh, well, I guess Arthur's an aardvark, but they have a more pig-like snout. And I was wondering what yeah. these animals all were supposed to be, these prehistoric animals. My guess is some sort of like warthog or something, which makes me wonder why we, I mean, maybe it's because this type of person literally went extinct, but we don't see like warthog people in modern day. And we all evolved from warthogs. Why are there still warthogs around and zoos? <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's just, it's kind of the history of oral history of like a uh, cave hog, let's say. Um Sounds like a new Sonic game. A uh, cave hog telling a story, and then a younger cave hog telling it to another group of people. And Grandma Thora's point is that that's how stories used to go. Somebody would think of a story, they would tell it, and then somebody who heard the story would pass it on. So DW doesn't have to write a story to think of a good one. Uh, she just has to tell it. So she goes to the treehouse the next day to Arthur and Buster to tell her story instead of writing it down. Um... Oh, this is fantastic. So before DW gets into her story proper, uh, you know, Arthur's like, you should tell an interesting story. Like the story of how I got pal. And then DW cuts him off and says, nobody cares. <laughs> that was a really good that detail. Another, another kind of lampshade hanging of like how I guess maybe the earliest episodes of Arthur were all about him. And then just like we've co we've gone back to the well with pal so many times. It's just like nobody cares about that anymore. So I thought that was pretty funny. And this is and so this is where we get into DW's adaptation of the Odyssey where she is O.D. Doubleus, which is a uh, as pained a pun as you'll ever hear. But uh, she had to do it somehow. Um, if you're not familiar with the story of the Odyssey, it's uh, uh, about a. A Greek named Odysseus who fought in the Trojan War and is trying to find his way back home. And along the way, he has m many adventures. Let's say in the in the in the actual poem, it's quite a lot uh, bloodier and visceral and involves a lot more violence. So this is definitely toned down for kids. And so yes, yeah, so Odysseus goes through quite a few adventures getting back to her home. Uh, we see a lot of Greek mythical figures here. Uh, the first one is Francine playing the role of uh, Poseidon. That's right, because and, uh, uh, DW stole Poseidon's uh, unicorn, and so the oh the anime. Sorry, I'm sorry. The animation that they do for this extended sequence is immediately different because uh, the lines around the characters are a lot bolder. The edges are kind of sharper. It's similar uh, almost to uh, Disney's Hercules. How that that I, was, I was just about to say that. Yeah, exactly. Everything's got thick outlines that is a lot more angular. I wonder if that's indeed what they were going for, because Disney's Hercules would have been out around that time, so that style probably would have been recognizable mm. to kids watching the show. And synonymous with, like, Greek mythology. Yeah, which is interesting because, you know, Disney's Hercules, a, a kind of a guilty pleasure in this day and age, not exactly known for its accuracy and representation of Greek myth. It is, however, known for Tim Curry being amazing. Or no, 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 uh, not Tim Curry. I, I apologize, I apologize, I apologize, I apologize. James Woods. James Woods being incredible in that film. Oh, James Woods' as Hades is yes. uh, is iconic. Yes. What, what's, even, what's even better, question mark, is uh, 
how James Woods is in like every single Kingdom Hearts game. Another like he's, another great part. He's one of the ones that came back. Man, yeah. Disney's Hercules. What a cast. Danny DeVito also. Yeah, and I mean, even the voice talent that you don't recognize, I feel, does a really good job in that uh, in that movie. Rip Torn is Zeus, and uh, all these good performances. Like, no joke. I, I I like Disney's Hercules a lot. I know that I have friends who really don't like it, but I don't know. It's it'll always be a, a somewhat guilty pleasure of mine. But I do like Disney's Hercules. Two it's things a, about Disney's Hercules watch. that you can never take away from it. Okay, one. Yeah. Zero to Hero is one of the all-time great 90s Disney songs. Up there with, like, mm-hmm. uh, any great song from Mulan, like, uh, up there with all the lot, like, Zero to Hero, best song in the movie. Number two, Disney's Hercules is one of the only Disney movies where the two main characters that end up falling in love don't like each other at first and then go on a date and realize they like each other. Whereas in, like, Mm -hmm. Aladdin, which is a much better movie overall, in Aladdin, they just like each other because they think each other's hot and they see each other and they're like, oh, I love you. In Disney's Hercules, they go on a date like like real people do and, like, learn to like each other, which is interesting and a great detail and more movies need to do that. It's a great point, Lucas. Um... Something that I was thinking about recently is that, you know, Disney has been on the kick of doing live action uh, adaptations of their most popular. Yeah, I know. (laughs) But I was thinking something that you could do if you ever decided to do Disney's Hercules in live action, the uh, um, the muses, Destiny's Child. (laughs) You would be going from five to three, but they can sing for ten, baby. There you go. Anyway, Disney, please do not steal or give me money. Like that's that's not free. You can you can afford you can afford it. Just kick me a couple G's. D- o O D double S. I'll just say D W. It's too paint at this point. Uh, runs afoul of Poseidon, who uh, manages to shipwreck them on a nearby island. D W does the gag of where she's like hitting the side of her head to get water out of her ear, which looks strange because it's like you're hitting where the ear would be, but of course. Her ears are on the top of her head, so still going along with that. There's also a crab that comes out of uh, her ear, and one of the Tibbles has a has a line I actually liked. Is there's a good joke here about her being crabby. Speaking of the Tibbles, they get high. Yeah, yeah, the, the Tibbles get zoinked uh, off that skooma. Uh, they start eating those flower petals, and it gives them. Uh, what does DW say? She mispronounces. Um, she 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 tries to say amnesia and then it and then she's like she it gave them amnesia and am, it made them forget. <laughs> uh, yeah, so everybody eats that except for DW and they forget that they want to go home and uh, pretty much get high uh, after eating these flower petals and they get captured by the Cyclops who is played by Buster. So he has one eye and one uh, rabbit ear. Uh, and his thing is that he would eat anything, including, like, trees and rocks and stuff. Um, and, and you mentioned you know, earlier about how the original Odyssey is quite violent. Um, yeah. This was something that I was very surprised, and I didn't think they were going to actually go all the way with this, is that Buster does indeed... Ki- we have an episode of Arthur. Mark this right now. Season 4, episode whatever of Arthur. Buster does eat the Tibble Twins. Yes, swallows them whole. And they're, so. they're dead, presumed dead. They're going to disintegrate well, in his we... stomach bile. Like, he doesn't cough them back up. Yeah, so, you know, that's going to that's gonna happen. 
that's going to happen. Unfortunately, that's ca- that's canon in DW's Odyssey. Um, DW manages to fool the Cyclops by uh, wrapping his ear around his eye and uh, getting him to open the door. And there's a joke here about like, it's like that's why I always wear sandals because I can't tie sneakers because he's so, so bad dumb. at knots. Yeah, no bad at knots. That's it. Uh, there's a gag here. One of the things that in the Odyssey is that they face the sirens, which were like, you know, Ooh, this uh, beautiful, is so good. beautiful women who had like a, a, that's where siren song comes from, where that kind of encouraged you towards their island, but then your ship got dashed on the rocks. But here it's like three dancing women in like hula skirts and they're playing the crazy bus theme. So and immediately DW is like, I need to go to that island, and they have to tie her up and put headphones on themselves. The rest of her crew does, uh, in order to sail past it. There's like at some point DW's like, that's the most beautiful song I've ever heard, and it's just like the same recording of Crazy Bus that we hear in like other Arthur episodes. It's like Crazy Bus, Crazy Bus. Uh, in fact, I think if you look closely at the sirens, they're not even singing it; they're just playing it off a stereo, like a portable stereo. So that's very yeah. funny. Yeah, good little reference. Uh, then they face Scylla and Charybdis, uh, one of which is a, uh, six headed beast, which is played by Muffy and they all like talk with her voice. And, uh, Charybdis is a whirlpool that's shaped like Arthur's head, right. including like little s- swirls for his glasses. I like mean, he's in an anime and they have to go between them. Uh, and when they pass Muffy, Muffy goes, get off my property. So rude. <laughs> and, uh, at this point they're using one of the Cyclops' socks as a, uh, as a sail, and DW unties it and it hits Muffy in the face and just like, it's someone's dirty sock. How rude. <laughs> just kind of her, her to a T. So they managed to get past all that. Uh, but then somewhat anticlimactically, a thunder a thundercloud comes and zaps them. And it's like the shot is the thundercloud hitting uh, their boat with lightning. And then they all just disintegrate into the ocean. Um. I was going to ask you, Will, uh, is that actually, it's been a while since I've had to read the Odyssey. Is is that actually how the Odyssey ends? Like, do they get past everything and then, like, at the last minute they're hit by lightning? Because I, I do remember that, so this next shot of, like, DW crawling onto the beach by herself on, like, a piece of driftwood, that is how Homer gets back home. Like, he doesn't have his full ship or anything. Like, it's really, like, he barely makes it. And so is that why, like, they get past all this stuff and then they just happen to be hit by lightning? I'm not sure. I feel like in the Odyssey, it's been a while since I've read it. Uh, it probably had something to do with Zeus. Yeah. Like Zeus probably. But Odysseus does come back home, and then there's a whole other subplot about like how there's so many suitors I who know. are trying to that, marry his wife. I'm glad you remember that because I always thought that was a really funny element of the Odyssey is like in between uh, Odysseus's adventures, it cuts back to his house where like they talk about – I maybe – as a 12 year old this was really funny to me but the idea of like there's just hundreds of dudes like waiting outside the house being like we want to date you can we come in a date we're all these suitors like these these suitors are it's almost mother-esque like the film the Aronofsky yeah. film mother the idea of like all I've just pictured all these suitors being like I want to date can I date and they're just like rooting the house because they're all hanging out yeah I mean they're there for like a long time and then Odysseus comes back and I think if I remember correctly, he runs through like all fifty of them or something with one spear or something to that effect. <laughs> I did so, not remember that. That's hilarious. So pretty, pretty violent. Uh, so that's DW's story, 
and she finishes telling it. I mean, overall, not a bad adaptation of the events of the Odyssey for a kid's audience. And it helps to have somebody like they recognize through it. Uh, you know, Arthur is kind of immediately very critical of it. He's just like, nothing. It's just like that. I forget what he says, but it's just like, that's, that wasn't that interesting. Like, or he's he compares just kind it of, to uh, Vegemorphs. He right. Goes, he com- that didn't have potatoes. Uh, oh, he says some innate plot deal uh, d- detail from Vegemorphs that makes it, it says more about Arthur than it does about DW because he's like that didn't have like someone turning into potato to defeat aliens. And then D- and then DW's reveal is that that's actually a story that Grandma Thora called uh, uh, told to me. It's called the Odyssey. I changed it a little bit so that you wouldn't know. And now I know that when you say that it's not a good story, that just means that you don't like it. Not that it's a bad story. I thought it was very interesting, especially in, like, the climate that we're in right now with people having opinions of all types and all sorts of, like, I think it mainly movies, but definitely stories for sure. And just very, uh, a very interesting thing here, calling out uh, Arthur and people people like him who, um, I don't know, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to describe. But you know what I'm saying? It's like, no matter what DW had said, Arthur was going to be critical of it. So DW was kind of playing three-dimensional chess here by saying, no, this is one of, like, the most well-renowned stories ever. Uh, I tricked you. You played into my trap card. Yeah, very much so. I think think you you summed it up very well there. And then at the end, uh, Buster actually follows DW out of the treehouse because he wants to hear more specifically about the Cyclops, but he wants to hear the story again. And Arthur secretly does too. Like he says, tell the part about Charybdis. Which is very Not- funny because Charybdis is barely in DW's adaptation. Arthur just wants to hear about the 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 thing that was personified by Arthur. And then so she starts telling the story over again with a focus on the Cyclops. And that's the end of the episode. This next uh, episode is based on one of our favorite characters in the show. Oh, yeah, buckle it's, up. It's Prunella gets it twice. Uh, so we've made no bones about the fact. Mainly, I think you a bit more than me, Lucas, but Prunella is not exactly one of our... Uh, is not one of our favorite characters. Yeah, I mean, Prunella's sister more so. I extra dislike uh, Rubella. Uh, yeah. But Prunella has been amongst uh, some of my least favorite characters in Arthur thus far. Uh, this one I kind of wrote later in my notes, but I want to bring it up now. Do you think Prunella looks a little bit like Abby Russell from Giant Bomb? <laughs> Not the long nose necessarily, but in couple couple scenes here where she's got like you know the the frizzy hair, uh, and she's you know kind of kind of skinny. I was like, kind of reminds me a bit of Abby. I uh, that's so funny. I haven't noticed that before, but now that you mentioned it, that makes a lot of sense. Like when she's got the little cape at her birthday party, that's funny. Yeah. That's inspired casting. Yeah, that would be my Arthur fan cast. Abby Russell as as Prunella. Um, yeah. So this cold open is about uh, a couple of Arthur characters bringing birthday presents for Queen Prunella, and it's set in the Middle Ages. And you can tell because they are using your stereotypical middle ages language like arthur's like it's fun to bring for thee to bring presents to thine friends especially when thou knowest they're going to love it so there's a lot of those kind of things put in there uh arthur and buster are bringing a huge crate up a long set of stairs uh to queen prunella and they present her with 
a wooden bicycle, the which first, has never been invented. The first bicycle. She asks, who's it from? And Arthur says, both of thus. And Prunella ejects them. Because she says, two, pre- two peasants, one present. We are displeased. And it just so happens they're standing at the top of the stairs and they slide all the way down the stairs. And the best part of this cold open is that in the background, it's like low in the mix, you can hear them screaming for the rest <laughs> of the cold open. Like quieter and quieter, but they're still audible. Uh, I didn't it's notice great. that. I don't think I was wearing headphones while I was watching this. That's hilarious. My favorite part about this cold open is then uh, Francine comes up and she goes, uh, I forget exactly how she words it, but she's like, my present will be better what you, be better than whatever yonder losers came to bring you. And the mix of like modern slag and their fake Arthur thou dost uh, bringeth thy present uh, is very funny. And then the whole, and then the cold open is all about the reveal as Francine is like sweating as Queen Prunella opens her present, but we never get to see what she says, which leads into the episode itself, which it's not Prunella's half birthday. It's her actual birthday. So she's having a party. And before she gets her party, uh, her sister, Rubella, who is, who is very much, uh, tame in this episode. She's not doing the whole Rubella gimmick. Um, gives her a Polly Locket doll, which is one of the big big objects of this episode, uh, which is obviously a the name at least is a takeoff on the Polly Pocket uh, toys. Did you do you remember those? I do. My sister uh, was a big big Polly Pocket fan. Uh, myself, not really, but I, I remember, and I think the Polly Pocket that my sister was a fan of was like sort of the reboot, like Polly Pocket The Next Generation, and that original Polly Pocket is like a little bit older. Um, yeah. yeah. Polly Pocket was kind of around uh, when this was when this was going on. It was kind of like a, a miniature play set that was aimed at girls. Mm-hmm. And for and for the boys, eventually they came up with Mighty Max, which had its own uh, cartoon show. I do not remember Mighty Max. You don't have to. <laughs> it's no, there is no point in it. Uh, yeah. So she gets a Polly Locket doll, which in this case is kind of like a uh, more of like a Barbie doll than anything else. And it has like a saying, or sorry, not at this point. Uh, yeah, it's just, just kind of a nice looking doll. And, and then her we, face opens yeah. up, and you can put what you want in her face. You can put your belongings in her face. As we see in the commercial later, a kid puts a wad of gum in her face, Ugh. which is... Uh, it's, like, also... It's unhygienic in that sense, and it's also, like, just weird. Like, opening someone's face and then putting gum inside it. It's like... Ugh, gross. Uh, it's Brunella's birthday, and she is very eager to open presents... And she's also eager for it to be a great birthday. So she opens her first box, and it's another Polly Locket. And she just goes, oh, another Polly Locket. I already got one. And you can see in the background that Francine's face immediately falls. and But we're not exactly sure why. Prunella immediately does not come across well in this episode. It's for a greater purpose. So she doesn't stay here. There's an arc that she follows. But definitely to start off with was not giving Prunella any extra points. She's, like because it just reminded me of when I was younger, and you know my parents had to uh, kind of train train me at birthdays to be like, okay, yeah, somebody might get you something that you don't like. You st- still have to say thank you, 
and like give them a hug or just you know say thank you very much don't say that you don't like it don't say that you already have it just say thank you no not even just birthday it's like christmas like with family members like even if there's something you're not excited for you always have to be like you got to channel your inner vine kid and be like it's an avocado thanks uh, like I remember when I was very little, I learned this lesson the hard way. I think it was like four or five, and uh, my godfather got me a. I wanted a Toy Story T-shirt, but he got me a Toy Story sweater, and I like started crying. Oh my god, Will! And I know, like I again, I, 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 I was a very that's an upgrade. <laughs> but it was the summer, and I wanted to wear a T-shirt. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I was in the wrong, is what I'm saying. And then after, and then afterwards, you know. <laughs> Uh, my my mother had to be like, okay, don't don't do that. If you get something that you don't like, don't cry, don't make a scene. We can always return it or whatever. Just make sure that you say thank you. So that's something that I'm saying. That's something you learn at least for me at a very early age. So this was really bad party etiquette. This was a party foul. That's true. At least you Prunella. had the excuse that you were like four. Uh, Prunella is like what? Maybe nine. Yeah, eight or nine, and she straight up is goes oh. I already got one. Yeah. And then she's immediately like, what if everybody got me the same present? Ugh. And then immediately opens. I'm like, oh, man. Um, later on, she's, uh, Rebella asks her how her party was. And she says, it was gr- it was great, except for Francine, who, have, who after she opened the Polly Locket doll, uh, just immediately, <laughs> her, her spirit just dropped. So, she was like sabotaging games. She she didn't sing Happy Birthday. Uh, this was back in the days before Happy Birthday was public domain. I was just gonna so, say I loved the royalty free Happy Birthday song. If I remember the lyrics correctly, it's on your birthday. You're so special. Holy cow! Now you're older. Here's a present. Where's the ice cream? Feed us now. It's a a very uh, a cold. A colder happy birthday. There's no warmth to it. It's very much, what is your birthday doing for me? My go-to royalty-free happy birthday song is the uh, Eastside Mario's one, where it's like, it's your happy birthday from all of us to you. Eastside Mario's, Eastside Mario's, boom bada boom bada bing. I was actually, so Jenna's birthday happened a couple of days ago, and we were at Eastside Mario's oh, last no. night for her birthday dinner. She specifically always requests that they not sing. We spin, we spin the wheel, but they do not sing. She she doesn't like that. But there were four other times that somebody got the birthday song while we were there. We were only there for like an hour. It's still the same one though, right? I thought you were gonna tell me they had updated it or changed it. I I can't tell, to be honest with you. All I hear is them clapping and I can't hear anything. It's just uh, like clap, 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 clap. And I'm like I can't hear them singing because Eastside Eastside Mario's is a haven of families and therefore it's like the sound of a jackhammer. Families are degenerates that want to order fish bowls. Um, <laughs> is is uh, what? Uh, you gotta get the fish bowl, buddy. Fish bowl Tuesdays. Eastside Mario's. Um, they it, don't have fish bowls anymore, dude. Oh my god! Well, it shows how many times I've been at Eastside Mario's lately. Unlimited soup Come and bread, salad and breadsticks, though. Um, no, that's your a, name's Mancini. Uh, well, actually, exactly. that's a good reason why you shouldn't go to Eastside you know Mario's. Though? Okay, fun quick aside. <laughs> fun quick aside. My Italian yeah. grandmother, my off-the-boat Italian grandmother, the greatest cook I've ever met in my life, best food I've mm. ever eaten is made by her. She literally came to Pier 21 in 1950 and immigrated to Canada from Italy. Uh, yes. Her favorite restaurant is Eastside Mario's. Wow. <laughs> 
Uh, Man, that's crazy. I remember all the time when I was a little kid, we would go to the one in McMack Mall. Uh, do Americans know about Eastside Barrios? Is that just a Canadian thing? Because the whole thing is it's I, like fake New York, but I feel like it's I, – I, I think it might just be Canadian. Um, I don't know. But, yeah, essentially it is just fake New York Italian. It's – the food is – Oh, it's it's all it's all fine. It's, it's fine. uh, I don't know if fine. I would say it's sub Olive Garden tier. To be honest with you, I've never had Olive Garden. To be to be honest, well, but it's like it's 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 you know it's always a little overpriced and it's fine. You like you can you can obviously do better. It's just a chain family restaurant. You used to be able to break peanuts and just throw them on the ground. Really? Why? Wait, you didn't know about? Yeah, at the bar at East said Mario's. If you're hanging out in the bar. They would have these big bowls of peanuts, like shelled peanuts, and you could rip the shell off, and you could just throw them on the ground. But then too many people had peanut allergies, so they stopped doing it. But I remember as a kid, like, the ground of the bar of East Siberia's would be literally littered with peanut shells. Interesting. I wasn't – I did not know about that. Again, I spent uh, a lot of time at East Siberia's as a child. <laughs> so. so, yeah, Prunella says, other than Francine, her party was great. And first we go from adapting the Odyssey, then for pretty much the rest of the episode, it's an adaptation of A Christmas Carol. Because at night, in her dreams, Prunella is visited by the ghost of presents past, and as Ian said in his email, the ghost of lunch tomorrow. The ghost of presents past, played by Polly Lockett, and the ghost of lunch tomorrow, played by Binky, who is wearing like a black cloak... And it has like different objects sometimes. Well, like sometimes he has like a pink, like a one of those ping pong paddles. He's got a. Uh, there's a flame hovering above his head, and over the yes. flame is a hamburger. Yeah. Um, and I gotta so, say, I agree with Ian. Um, best part of this entire episode by far is the ghost of lunch future or ghost of lunch tomorrow. Uh, I am. It didn't. It, it didn't do much for me. Really? Like, I, 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 get, I thought it was funny. I got the joke, but it didn't really make me laugh. Anyway, Not different when, strokes. Even, even when he's like, tuna noodle casserole. No, no, didn't really do anything peanut, for me. Peanut butter and banana sandwiches. So Polly, Polly Lockett takes Prunella through the stages, essentially, of how Francine, who was the one who gave her the extra Polly Lockett doll, what she had to go through to get that present for Prunella. It started with Francine doing a test that she thought she was going to fail, but because she studied with Prunella, uh, she actually got an A+. Prunella is not actually Mr. Ratburn's class, so I, I found it weird that her birthday was entirely with kids who are not from her class. Well, I, th- I think, isn't Prunella just a year older than all of them? Like, she's either, I mean, like she's Binky's age, isn't she? Yeah, I guess may- maybe it's a little unclear, but it, like, but I guess that's how she was able to know like what would be on that test. Exactly. Like, I think she's a little bit older, so that's why she was so helpful in helping Francine. And I bet she hangs out with people who are a year younger than her, because everybody else in her class probably finds her insufferable. <laughs> oh, maybe that's maybe that is the dark secret. Oh, that's kind of sad. Um, Lucas, did you notice this, Francine? There's a shot of her getting her test back. And I saw a name that looked familiar, so I looked at the answers. In fact, I'm pausing right now. Francine's test is uniquely Canadian. Oh. Check out some of these answers. Check out some of these answers. Uh, John A. McDonald. Hey. 
Jacques, Jacques Cartier, Hudson Bay, huh. 1867. Huh. Was this a Canadian history test? Um, that's just another there's Easter also other, egg from our Canadian animator friends. There's, there's also other ones like canoe, furs, and donuts. I wonder what the donuts were. Maybe it's maybe it's where which like who invented who invented what or like where some kind of thing. Hmm. Um, yeah, so some Canadian answers in there, probably put in by the Canadian animation crew over at CNR. So tip of the cap there, much appreciated from Canadian viewers. Something I totally missed when I was a kid. Uh, so she's very grateful to Prunella for helping her uh, study, which got her the A plus, and. She sees Brunella at the toy store, and we see the advertisement for Polly Lockett, which is where we found the, uh, the you can put her belongings in your face. And uh, so Prunella's just like, I would really like that doll, but it's so expensive. And so Francine in, uh, does decide that she wants to get that doll for Prunella because she deserves it. There's a moment where, like, they take a look at the price tag to, we don't see the actual number, but... <laughs> Francine's like whoa that is too much money forget it I'll buy her a pack of gum or something <laughs> it's like the cheapest option uh, I just thought that was, that was funny as the cheap option but she does decide like no Prunella deserves this and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get it for her uh, kind of like uh, we saw Arthur's kind of lesser seen jerk side in the past story um this is Francine's kinder side, which mm. I'm I'm glad to see more of. She's really dedicated to getting this for Prunella, who helped her through something that was important to her. So it's nice to see kind of a bit more of depth to the Francine character, which can sometimes she can sometimes be cornered into the bully role. Uh, Francine also one of the most least lazy kids uh, amongst the Arthur crew. I couldn't see Buster or Arthur uh, committing to doing this many chores uh, to help someone, but uh, Francine's very dedicated. Uh, she does She does hard work well. For sure. Uh, all the while that we're seeing this, uh, the ghost of Presence Past and Prunella are like floating around like ghosts. And there's some sometimes humor to be made from that. Like one point, Prunella gets hit with a soccer ball. And she's like, how can I get hit with a soccer ball? But people can't hear or see me. And there's no real answer for that. Francine first goes to Muffy, who has all her money at her clubhouse stored in a giant teddy bear, which also acts as a safe, which I thought was pretty cool. Or, or cool or impractical. Muffy's like carrying around bills like a SoundCloud rapper. Get a bank account, Muffy. Once you have that much money. That's her that's her allowance dog. Oh my gosh. She's like uh oh, what was the name of that nine year old on Instagram or whatever? Oh, uh I, I believe you're referring to Lil Tay. Lil Tay, the yes. youngest, the youngest flexer in the game. So, but Muffy's eight, so Muffy's the youngest flexer oh, in the game. Oh, I uh, is Lil Tay nine? Let's see, Lil Tay age. Could Muffy be a younger flexer than Lil Tay? We're about to find out. Oh my goodness! Well, Wikipedia, Google says about nine years. It doesn't just say. Um, people don't actually know. Uh, but yeah, I guess Muffy is. But hey, if we're doing live action Arthur casting, inspired casting, Lil Tay as Muffy. She's holding Muffy your Cro- she's holding your mama's rent. Will she's holding your mama's rent? Muffy Crosswire with uh, two dollar signs instead of S's. <laughs> Muffy hanging youngest, out with Chief Keef. Youngest flexer in the game. So Francine is asking to borrow money from Muffy, who is very reluctant to give it away. Like she even asks for interest. Oh my god. 
and paying it back. Um, and then eventually just uh, can't bear to give up money just because it's not who she is. So Francine has to work to get the money she needs. I wish we kind of, I wish we had a dollar amount on this, on this doll. Just to, just to give it a little bit more, make it a bit more concrete. But. I bet it's like 30 bucks. That's like usually yeah. around toys that age. But again, $30 in 1999 money is pretty much a lot of money. I remember like it was a big deal whenever I got a Bionicle or whatever. And those were only like 15, 20. Uh, but, yeah. uh, but I remember being stoked whenever I would get a Bionicle or a Transformer, which were probably closer to the 30 if they're the very good ones. Uh, so, so I could see so that prob- being a lot of money for a kid. So probably thirty bucks for the toy, and then like f- an extra five for the personalization. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, that makes sense to me. Um, so Francine it does some odd jobs, particularly for her parents and for other people around the community. Like she mows. Um, oh gosh, what's what's the Tibble's mom's name? Or Miss Mrs. Tibble? She mows Mrs. Tibble's lawn. Uh, washes her family's windows. She organizes her family's apartment storage locker, which I'm very jealous of. I wish I had an apartment storage locker. Um, I've, as someone who's organized my grandmother's apartment storage locker, it's uh, one of those double-decker ones where you have to climb up to this, like, you have to climb above someone else's apartment storage locker to organize that one. It is a pain. Could just use the extra space at this point. We're starting to run out over here. Um... In fact, Francine gets paid double for washing Mr. Frensky's uh, garbage uh, truck. Garbage truck, which confused me because wouldn't that be the job of the garbage people, like at people at the dump? Like, wouldn't don't isn't somebody paid to do that? I like I, on their on their payroll. I I I honestly don't know. You'd think they'd have some sort of industrial like garbage truck washing solution. Um, that's not just an eight-year-old girl spraying a garden hose in the back. I feel like that wouldn't be that effect, uh, effective at um, washing away weeks' worth of garbage. But what do I know about the sanitation business? Very true. And then Francine is also washing her dad's car. and uh, Oliver just throws a bunch of garbage into it, immediately undoing her work. So after all of that, she manages to get her money. And it's speaking of youngest flexer in the game, she's flashing that wad on the school grounds. Don't do that, Francine. Exactly. Kids will jack you. That's true. You're going to get run up like safari or something outside the club. Uh, do we Good also time. talk about uh, when she's carrying around her brother, Tidy Tim? Yeah. The ghost is, again, another allusion to the Christmas Carol. Uh, just like she had to take care of her brother, Tiny Tim. Fernell's like, she has a brother named Tiny Tim? She's like, can we stick to the facts, please? But also, like, we see uh, Tiny Tim's, like, huge for some reason. Like, he has gigantism, (laughs) like Andre the Giant. And, like, uh, Fred Seed's, like, barely able to support his weight. Like, his head's big, his body's big. It's just a very odd visual. Uh so Francine goes to buy the Polly Lockett doll, but she doesn't have enough to personalize it. And so she hits her personal rock bottom, and she asks Catherine for money. And she does it under ho- horrible, horrible circumstances. Catherine, like, d- demands that she, d- like, do all her chores and then clean her side of the room for a month. And Prunella is, like, behind her in ghost form being like, don't do it, don't do it! And so Francine finally gets that extra five bucks, and she's able to get that poly locket personalized. And she put, uh, as we saw earlier in the episode, her poly, po- poly locket, excuse me, I keep mixing those up, 
Her Polly Lockett says, you are great on the sweater. And then, of course, we go back to the birthday scene where Prunella opened it. And we get to see from a different perspective that she was actually very rude to Francine, who worked so hard to get her that doll. And Prunella starts yelling at herself. And then finally, she the whole goal of this was to realize that she just says, I stink. And she has that personal revelation about how she did Francine dirty after all that. So, like I said, Prunella is not starting off on a great foot in this episode, but she does come around. Mm, so I, she is capable. She is capable of learning a lesson. And I think that's what's effective about like the Scrooge story, especially like I have a. Uh, it's one of those re- like even more so than the Odyssey, like super often parodied um, stories. Yeah. But I think what's super effective about certain adaptations, specifically like the 1950s one, is. Uh, there's that 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 turnaround, right, where they build up Scrooge as such a vilified character, and then once they once they get you on his side, like he has his big relevation. If it's done properly, it could be such an effective moment, and I think uh, they do do their due diligence uh, to uh, uh, make you. Once Prunella has her big turn, uh, they earn it. Yeah, big time. I agree. Um. So Prunella, with all of her knowledge, which somehow, like, again, uh, this is this is one where the magic realism starts pretty early. So once once you're in for a penny, you're in for a pound with this. So she knows everything that Francine went through. She meets her at her at her apartment the next day, uh, say, appropriately says thank you for the Polly Locket, and shows her that somehow she got a uh, a wallet sized four by three of Francine that she is keeping in her Polly Locket's uh, face. And Prunella gives her the other polylocket that she got that didn't have a personalized thing on it. And she put number one cool friend and she gives it to Francine. Uh, she also she also has her own like wallet sized picture of herself. And she's like, look, in the face is where you're supposed to put your most precious belongings. I figured you want a picture of me. Francine's like, no, thanks. I'll, I'll just put in a picture of my cat. Which is, which, fair that, which is good. I, I'm glad that like they sort of teased having the very, very, like, storybook ending of, like, oh, we'll put each other's faces in our poly, uh, lockets. It's far more realistic that uh, Francine would rather put a picture of her cat. And the episode ends with a couple of instances of, like, Francine being like, how did you know that? And it's, and it becomes especially clear when she goes in for lunch with Francine, and, just, and there's that's the line of, it's like, what are you having? Peanut butter and banana sandwiches. Mm-hmm. Peanut butter and banana sandwiches? Peanut butter and banana... Hey, how'd you know that? <laughs> and it's the ghost of lunch tomorrow. All right, so uh, there was a lot to talk about in those two episodes. So, but let's talk about the bottom line here, because Will says so. What did you think of uh, DW Tailspins? I really like oh. DW Tailspins. Uh, I, I really did enjoy it. There's a little something for I know me and you love the '90s parodies, so Vegemorphs was a fun way to start the episode, as well as the cold open of DW making fun of Arthur. That was also entertaining. But the real bulk of this episode is uh, DW's retelling of Ulysses, and I think uh, the, uh, the the Odyssey. Odyssey excuse me, the Odyssey, Ulysses is a different retelling of the Odyssey. But um, <laughs> um, I feel like Arthur's got a pretty good track record now with any episode that's like DW telling a long story, whether it's in her imagination. Or that episode where, he, where they have the forbidden words and they're in DW's dream. All of those types of things. All of those episodes have been great thus far. And this kind of continues in that tradition. Very creative. Very fun. Um, it has the Tibble Twins getting eaten, which is just crazy. Uh, so I ended up really, really enjoying it. 
And it's uh, as always, it'll probably get some kids to be more interested in, you know, old epics like the Odyssey, and maybe they'll they'll learn a little bit more about them. This was, or turned out to be, one of my favorite Arthur episodes. Period. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it immediately hooked me with the humor. I thought the humor was so on point in this episode. Uh, like I was genuinely laughing at. They're hanging their lampshades on the tropes that they usually do. The, you know, DW being Arthur. The Vegemorph stuff I thought was very funny, especially for the time. Uh, I I really liked the way that they told the Odyssey. Like I, I, I kind of said, it's a great telling of that most, the bulk of that story for kids. And it is more interesting when you come back to it as somebody who's older and there's more stuff to pick up on. Like the Odyssey is a great story. It's one of my favorites. Uh, and I thought they did it a really good justice, but also in a way that you wouldn't expect. I love the way that that whole part looked. Um, it was, yeah, it, like you said, the Tibble twins got eaten. It was surprisingly like uh, it, it, it surprises you in a couple of places. And the and the part at the end about how uh, talking to people who go into something with a certain mindset, specifically DW talking to Arthur of like you, it's like it proves you don't know what a good story is. I thought that. I think there's a bit more to read into there about maybe it's, you know, the writers talking to critics that they've had or, you know, creators talking to their audience. Like there's a bit more like I was definitely it left me with a lot to think about at the end. And I thought it was kind of a good message, too. And I also I, I feel like I've been a little harsh on DW's new voice actor in this season. I thought that he was really good in this episode. I agree. I agree. Uh, That's something I didn't bring up yet, but uh, uh, I totally agree with you. It's a solid performance, uh, especially when they're doing the uh, Buster put, uh, not the Buster, the Arthur put on voice as well. Yeah. So I, I, I think it all came together. This is definitely going to be my top five at the end of the season. Uh, and it's in the running for one of my favorite Arthur episodes, just period from what I've seen. I don't like I when you said yours the blizzard last week is you is still yours. I'm not sure what mine is, so I have to think about it, but this is definitely one that I would consider. So big thumbs up from me. Not so, not so much for Prunella gets it twice, but don't let that mislead you. I think this this episode's still pretty good. Like I said, some of it kind of didn't work for me, like the ghost of lunch tomorrow, which thankfully is a pretty small part. So when I say that didn't work, it didn't like sink the episode or anything. Um, I actually did like the through line. It's funny how both of these ended up being kind of adaptations. I liked Prunella getting a little bit more character development. I appreciate that because so far she's just been pretty one-dimensional. Um, uh, and I liked using the kind of ghost device to kind of figure out. And, and speaking of character development, I thought Francine got a lot of it here too. So I think it was in really good service to two of the characters who we're going to keep seeing a lot more of. And especially, I feel like as the seasons go on, Prunella gets more of a presence on the show. So it's good that we're kind of starting to uh, make her a bit more likable. And uh, the episode itself, you know, it's fine. It's not super, like, action-packed or, you know, exciting. It's just kind of telling a story and it, it it worked fine for me i'd say it's still a solid episode but just nothing super spectacular either yeah i didn't like prunella gets it twice that much like i i okay. i uh i i really checked out in the middle half like i like the setup 
of Prunella just being horrible at her birthday party, and I liked the redemptive end of Prunella making it all right with Francine. Um, but all the stuff in the middle, it, it's a little, like... It's funny that these episodes were back-to-back, because I think this episode's almost done a disservice by following the Tailspin episode, in that um, it, it manages to... These are ideas and scenes and stories that we've seen before, um, but the uh, adaptation of the Odyssey ends up feeling a lot more fresh, whereas in the middle, like, I could see so where it was going that I almost, like, emotionally checked out of what was going Mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the episode halfway through kind of became more of a chore than it was entertaining for me personally. Um, Yeah. And I, I, I've had these episodes been reversed, it might have been a completely different story, but I was coming off that high of the earlier episode, which is quite good, that this one really just didn't do it for me. With the exception of almost completely opposite to you, I did get a kick out of the uh, the ghost of lunches tomorrow. Um, specifically, like, Binky's whispering delivery of he's in the corner going, tuna noodle casserole, uh, tuna noodle casserole, peanut butter and banana sandwiches. Uh, but yeah, with the exception of the beginning of Prunella really just just hamming it up with her terribleness, and then at the end of this kind of nice moment of like, and I'm going to give you mine, and you worked really well, uh, worked really hard to get me this doll, and I'm going to give you my doll, and like, this is all fun, um, and I really appreciate it. Like, the middle half, I was just kind of checked out the whole time. All right. Well, at least we have a strong recommendation for at least the first half, which uh, I'm glad that we agree on. What did you think of this episode of Arthur as we get closer and closer to the end of season four? It's only 10 episodes in this one, so just a few more to go before we're going to have to wrap things up. We've had some really high highs so far uh, here in the middle, and I hope that that keeps going as we uh, as we move on here. Uh, yeah, I don't want to speak you... too soon, but I, I would say yeah. season four thus far has been um, only matched in consistency by maybe season one like season four might be the best especially of the short seasons the best season of arthur yet i remember season three had some pretty big highs but also some really low lows so uh the consistency has really been there with season four thus far um yeah i'm gonna have to see how i feel at the end because i feel like you have been a little bit more positive on season four than maybe i have but i think if any of them are come have the capacity to come close to season one it's this one it's just going to be a little bit more difficult because season one had like double the amount of episodes season four has and and generally has double the amount that arthur seasons have from now on so it's we're gonna have to have seasons that like fire on all cylinders straight out the gate in order to really compete with that so uh, I don't want to count its chickens just yet, but we've seen some good stuff. I think we're really hitting a nice stride here, and I'm uh, looking forward to the rest of the season. Uh, before we get into what we'll be talking about on the next episode, don't forget that you can interact with us in ways such as this. Facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits. Twitter, you can follow us at ECL Podcast. Tumblr, elwoodcitylimits.tumblr.com. Feel free to send us an ask or send us an email, elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. To get this uh, podcast, all you have to do is go to Apple Podcasts. Uh, You can also go to elwoodcitylimits.libsyn.com, or you can find us in the Google Play Store. Are there any other places we need to be? Make sure you let us know. And if you're on Apple Podcasts or any uh, place that has a rating system, make sure to uh, rate us nice and high in the star level and leave us a nice comment. And I need to check those because maybe we've gotten a new one in the last little bit. If you've left us a nice review, let me know, and we will uh, uh, 
uh, give you a shout out on the show. Thank you as well to our patrons, patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. If you want to kick back a bit of money to us, we'd really appreciate it, but don't feel like you have to. And next time, as we get into season four, hey, it's uh, it's our mans and them. It's Binky. Binky's taking the spotlight again. About time. I feel like it's been a while. We're due for a Binky episode. That's right. Next time, it's going to be Binky Barnes Wingman, followed by To Beat or Not To Beat. Hmm. Don't remember what that last one is, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and keep the mystery until I start watching it the next time. And that is it for this episode of Elwood City Limits. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, also, just so that we get that out there, I know that we have the plug at the beginning, but you only have another, uh, I believe we only have another week. The 15th of July is when the Best of Halifax voting ends. So if you haven't nominated us yet for Best Podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you did. That's at bestofhalifax.ca, if I'm not mistaken. You can uh, also find the link on our social media. And I got to say, Will, uh, I don't know if this pertains to anything. Actually, it's bestofhalifax.com, first of all. Second of all, thank you. Um, if you go now down to the media tab and to the podcast tab, one of the autofills is now Elwood City Limits. Amongst Really? Oh, yes. Yes, it is. Uh, we have... Uh, there's the uh, Halifax Brewcast. There's, of course, the Sick Boy podcast and the other uh, Sick Boy uh, adjacent podcast, the one about love. I forget what that one's called. Um, but amongst uh, these esteemed company is Elwood City Limits. Geeks vs. Nerds is another one. Um, but but we're in the autofill. And I also have to say, I don't know this for sure, but um, I'm, I think Sick Boy might be recorded in Toronto now. So... Uh, they could be ineligible. Regardless, it's a very good podcast, and just to be nominated uh, is, uh, again, our goal here is just to be nominated would be an absolute honor. Uh, it would be huge for me personally. So, uh, yeah, head on down to thebestofhalifax.com. I agree. Uh, I Just to be nominated, you said it all there. But And, and if we get that far, then we'll get back to you with uh, what we do after that. But for now... Keep, uh, keep nominating us if you haven't already, bestofhalifax.com. We'd really appreciate it. My name is Will Young, and for Lucas Mancini... Well, I'm out of here. We'll see you later. Uh, stay cool. <laughs> Ice cold. <laughs>